0: Ephesians chapter two and after that Ying if you want if you're happy will come to give us the message. Good morning everyone. This morning's Bible reading comes from Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 through to 21. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. "'alienated from the commonwealth of Israel "'and strangers to the covenants of promise, "'having no hope and without God in the world. "'But now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off "'have been brought near by the blood of Christ. "'For he himself is our peace, "'who has made us both one "'and has broken down in his flesh.'" the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Great,
1: thanks a lot. Okay, let me just turn this on. Uh, As Clint said that... uh, We have a combined service this afternoon, and uh, unfortunately, uh, Chinese is not my first language, it may seem strange. In fact, languages is not my great strength. When I was at primary school, my parents sent me to Chinese class, and I failed that. When I was at high school, I failed English. When I was at uni, I failed computer languages. When I went to college, I dropped out Hebrew, and I was hopeless in Greek and i used to do work in the philippines and when i spoke they couldn't understand my english so i needed a fellow partner who speaks the queen's english or now the king's english into filipino english which is basically american english so languages have not been my strong point so, but i hope that you can understand my english i will try and speak slower because now we're in queensland I don't know, is that right? Sorry, uh, I don't know. See, there you go. Failed already. (coughs) How about I um, pray? (coughs) Is that water? Can I use that water? Or is it too late? Too late. late. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let me pray. Father, we give you thanks for this uh, uh, community here, that you love this community. And we pray, Lord, that you we know that you want to speak a word to them, now by your spirit that you open their hearts, all our hearts, to understand your word, that we would declare your praise, that we might love each other, that we might honour Jesus in all we do and say. Amen. A few years ago <clears throat> in Sydney, there was a statewide campaign initiated by the Bible Society, and it was called Jesus All About Life. I don't know if you heard about that campaign. And basically the campaign was to try and get the gospel out to as many uh, people in New South Wales as possible. And the whole idea was really just to uh, get all the churches coming together and join this campaign, uh, talk to their friends about Jesus, get their, put some sort of brochure in their hands, get them reading the Bible, etc., etc. When they came up with the name Jesus All About Life, it was a result of a survey that they did uh, they called in, they contracted in expert marketing researchers. And what they discovered was that <clears throat> although people have a great... They, they, they admire Jesus, generally speaking, they have a problem with the church. Which is why they didn't call about church all about life. They called it Jesus all about life. Because they know that uh, <clears throat> people have a problem with the church. But it seems to us that it's not just the secular world that has a problem with the church. I have to say that even the church has a problem with the church. Let's see where you go with this uh, thing. Yes, the church has a problem with the church. People within the church has massive problems with the church. I remember speaking to a former youth leader in my church... I had challenged him to think about pastoral ministry. He was one of those young guys who was really so awesome, gifted, uh, competent, and I was gunning for him to think serious about full-time ministry. He got married, and a few years later, I heard this tragic news that he gave up on his faith. He actually did a 180 turned around. And one thing he said to me just stunned me he said that his non-Christian friends are better than his Christian friends his non-Christian friends are better than his Christian friends well I just took that as just the guy who's just cynical and complaining I shared that with my niece who's a very strong, committed Christian right? and she also said to me, yeah that's how I feel sometimes and that got me really thinking why is it that you have this strong Christian who's turned about and thinks his non-Christian friends are better than his Christian friends. Why is it that my niece, who's a strong Christian, thinks in a similar way? I remember in my church, we had two Christian people, good friends, they started working out together and guess what? They had a massive, massive falling out, a massive argument. I remember speaking to a pastor who was running a church. He gets his mentor in and uh, who taught him how to do ministry. He was the apprentice to the pastor. But when the, pastor, when the apprentice becomes a pastor and gets his, uh, his mentor in, guess what? Big fight happens, the church splits and they go their separate ways. These are just a few examples of what is happening in the church. And the truth of the matter is that while a lot of people admire Jesus and love Jesus, we have massive problems about the church. The church is a broken community of believers. And so the question we have to ask ourselves today is, how can we love the church? How can we love the church? Jesus, if you remember, said, prayed that we might learn to love the church It's a great prayer, but it's a very difficult thing to do. So today what I want to do is present to you nine propositions for us to think about. These are my reflections over my 50 years of being in my church, and I have to say that I love my church, but it's not the easiest community to be in, although I still love her. First statement I want to say, Christian living is hard work, if not painful. We must always remember remember that the call to be a Christian is also a call to take up our cross daily, isn't it? The cross lies not only at the heart of what we believe and the message we proclaim, but the cross is the very thing that should shape our ministry and our life. A message without the cross and a life without the cross is nothing more than the lie of the evil one and so it's not surprising that when you look at your symbol up there it is right to see that above the people is the cross at the church the cross lies at the very heart of all that we are so it's not surprising that as we grow as christians it, in one sense it is easier but in another sense it's more difficult Paul reminds us in 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's a, that goes sort of counterintuitive, doesn't it? One would think that the more I grows in Christ and Christ-likeness, the easier it gets. Well, in one sense, yes. But in another sense, it gets more difficult because we're becoming more and more like Jesus And the more you become like Jesus, the greater the cross is that you carry. That is not only difficult, it is also at the same time the glory and the privilege of the Christian message and of the Christian life. But here's the second statement I want to say. Often the ones who cause us the most grief are fellow believers. Do you realise that? Often the ones who cause us the most grief are actually fellow believers. Yes, we get persecuted by the world but the funny thing is we also find much of our grief is caused by fellow believers. One only needs to think about Paul's letters. One Corinthians, his letters to the Corinthians caused him so much grief. There were so many problems in the church that was causing Paul a lot of grief. You can think of Galatians uh, as well, Galatians chapter 6, where he plants, he grows the church, and somehow they do a 180 on him. They actually turn against him. I was once your friends. Have I now become your enemies? What's happened to you? Why have I caused, what, what is it I've done that has made you turn against me, so to speak? And one thinks of James, where James is talking about the snobbery within the Christian community. See, what we need to recognise is often the ones, and I'm sure that many of us can feel this ourselves personally, as I have done in my own church, that the ones who cause us the most grief are often our fellow believers. But it comes to the third question, third point. That in the church, God chooses her members, not us. You see, the key to understanding why the difference between my friend who's done a 180 on the Christian faith versus uh, uh, the communities he is part of versus the church community, is the way communities are formed. How does the world form their communities? You know how the world forms their communities? It's very easy, isn't it? They're called to choose their friends wisely. Now that seems right, you choose your friends wisely we are selective whom we want to be part who we want to be part of our community we choose people who share common interests sports or reading or movies or we choose people who are similar to us in terms of personalities we choose people that we like and that we can get along with. That's how the communities of the world operate. And what happens if uh, things don't work out? Guess what? We fight, we move out, we stay away, and we find other people. So it's not surprising that my friend says his non-Christian friends are much better than his Christian friends. Why? Because he chooses his non-Christian friends. I like you, I'm going to hang around with you. I don't like you, stay away, I'm going to find someone else I like. So not surprisingly, they are always finding friends that they like and hang around with. That's how the world operates. But... And we see this so often, don't we? See that if things don't work out well, we see divorces and wars. We quit work to find a better job where there are nicer people. We move from one neighbourhood to another neighbourhood where there are nicer people. This happens all the time. But what about the church? How is the church community formed? Well, the most surprising thing about a church community is that it is God who creates the community. The community we call church. And here's the thing, he not only created, he chooses the members to be part of his community or the church. One thinks of Ephesians chapter 1, where you were chosen before the creation of the world, is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. You are chosen before the creation world. It is God who chooses us. We didn't do the choosing, surprisingly as it may sound, God did the choosing. I mean, one can think about new parents, right? You choose your friends. What say did the siblings have in choosing who they want to be brothers and sisters? No say whatsoever, did they? They just got what they were given to and they've got to learn to live with it. My daughters, they love each other, which is great, but they had no choice who they had as siblings. Similarly, God has chosen us. And I want to emphasize it is God. We were chosen by God. The right... To choose who wants to be part of God's family was literally taken away from us any more than a brother and sister has no right in choosing their siblings because they're just given what they're given. However, what was often forgotten, that God did not just choose me, God chose you and each one of you. You see, the biggest problem that we have is often we're so me-centred that we think it's all about me. And the Bible tells us it's not all about me. It's about us. God chooses each and every one of us to be part of his family. Whether we like it or not. And this comes to the fourth statement. Often the people whom God chooses are not the people we would normally choose. Now think about that. In the world, we choose our friends. We choose people we like. God does the choosing for us. But the most astonishing thing is that often the people God chooses are not necessarily the people we would have chosen. You think about the 12 apostles, right? Can you remember two of those? There was, on the one hand a tax collector, on the other hand a Jewish zealot. If you know anything about first century culture, they were not the best of friends. They were often on opposite sides. A zealot was a patriot of Jewish culture, Jewish thinking, Jewish belief. A tax collector was a traitor, and the Jesus chose both of them. Or you can think about the other people that Jesus chose to hang out with. Sinners, prostitutes, disabled, Samaritans, lepers, diseased Gentiles. And almost the people that God often chooses are not necessarily the one that we would have normally thought have chosen. But here's the most astonishing thing. Often the people God chooses are not just the people that we never thought of. But they're people that we would not want to choose over our dead bodies. Have a look at this passage, right? Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 to 12. The passage before us, I'm only going to look at it very quickly. is a passage where Paul wrote to the letter to the Gentile, a Gentile church, right? They were having problems. Uh, but God wants to remind them that Paul wants to remind them that you are just as much included in the community of God's people as the Jews are. But what was the Jewish sentiment about Gentiles? Look at that language here. You're Gentiles, right? Uncircumcised. That's not purely a medical description. It's a description of disgust. You are like a disgusting pig. That's how the Jews regarded the Gentiles as disgusting pigs. He describes them as uh, separated from Christ, alienated, strangers. People were hopeless without Christ. In other words, as far as the Jews were concerned, the Gentiles were just bad, bad, bad. In fact, in Jewish thinking, if, uh, it, it, it's heinous for a a Gentile to give birth to another child because you're bringing another disgusting person into the world. And yet God chose the Gentiles to the astonishing surprise, if not disgust, of Jews, that God would include them in the community of believers. But it needs to be said that the God choosing the Jews was no better Because if you remember the Jews, God had called them out of the broken world to be a light to the world. The Jewish nation was to bring God to the nations. But what happened, if you read the Old Testament, they became arrogant. And instead of trying to bring God to the nations, they wanted to keep the nations away from God. So they set up all their rules and regulations to make sure... That they stayed a good distance between the Gentiles and kept them at loggers at, at distance from each other. In fact, you see this in, in that uh, in verse in verse fourteen. For he himself is our peace who's made us both one and broken down in his flesh, the dividing war of hostility. There is uh, in the Jerusalem temple a war that separated the Gentiles from coming closer to the temple. And on that banner on the wall right across that if you cross anyone who crosses this wall who is not a Jew, do so on pain of death. There was a very clear warning. No Gentile gets anywhere near the temple of God. And not surprising with all their rules and regulations, uh, what does that create? Hostility. So there was enormous hostility between the Jews and Gentiles. You can't do this, you can't do this, you've got to eat this, you've got to dress like this, you've got to practice this and so on. And in times that's ridiculous, the Jews said, well, that's your problem, not ours. And hostility create, it arose. Yet here's the most astonishing thing. God not only chose the Jews, but he chose the Gentiles to be one in Christ. He brought enemies together and made them one. See, the most astonishing thing in the world is they choose their friends. God brings together enemies. Is there anyone that you can't get along with each other? I don't know. If you Many of you probably know of Corrie Ten Boom. She was a Dutch Christian in her family, the Ten Boom's. During the Second World War, they worked hard they helped to help to. Uh, protect uh, Jewish refugees fleeing from the Nazi uh, concentration camps. She and her family were eventually discovered. Family were uh, incarcerated in the concentration camps. She was the only survivor. When she was finally released, Second World War was over. She's speaking at a Christian uh, church, not dissimilar to this, and she's speaking about forgiveness. In the commune, in the congregation, there was one person in a brown jacket. She looked at that person and you know who that person was? One of the guards in the concentration camp that she was incarcerated there. As she was speaking, she can remember and the pictures of that guard beating her sister, Betsy. After the sermons, after she came up, the guy comes up to her she says, Fraulein, thank you for that message about forgiveness. She, he stretched out his hand. Will you forgive me? And that, and, 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 and Ten says that at that moment she just froze. And she had to pray to God that God would give her the, 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 car- the, the courage to stretch out her hand in forgiveness. And as she stretched out her hand, just as she felt, she said, she, it's like electricity just went through her whole body. Stretched out her hand and says, I forgive you. And the moment enemies became friends. A few years ago, I was speaking to a young girl in my church. She came from a very broken family. Her father had left her uh, mentally ill uh, mother. Had walked away from the parent, from family, from the marriage, to hang up with another woman. Not surprised he was pretty you know, upset by that. But well, here's the most astonishing thing. Uh, God actually led the father to Christ. He became a Christian. Now here's the crazy thing. God led the father to his daughter's church. Now what would you do? You can always remember pictures of your father who abandoned your mother, abandoned the family. Now as a Christian, now he's coming to my church. Now, how crazy is that? But that's the thing, God does things like that, doesn't he? God does those crazy things. He chooses the people who we never thought about. But worse still, he often chooses the people that we despise, the people without our enemies. Now here's the funny thing. The problems of this sort of problem is actually created by the gospel. Do you realise that? It's created by the gospel. How so? Look at this passage here. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What's it actually saying here? It's speaking about God's unconditional love here. It's speaking about God's grace here. But I want you to notice something very astonishing about how Paul applies this page. Because look what it says here in verse 11. Therefore, remember, that one time, you Gentiles... In the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by which is called circumcision, which is made in the hand, in the flesh by the hands. But I want you to notice a very astonishingly small word, which is very important. And what is that word? Therefore, see that word. Therefore, as I was reminded, when you have a word, therefore, see what's there for. See, we often take that passage, uh, Galatians, uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, to speak about personal salvation assurance, which is right, which is what Paul does in that context. But he takes it in a slightly different direction. What does he have to apply it to? He applies it as the basis of the church. See, membership into a Christian church is what? It's based on the name of this church, Grace. It's based on we are saved by grace. Therefore, what is the condition of coming to the church? Is it because you have to you're a nice guy? Is it because you work well with our community? Is it because you're an achiever? Is it because you look good? Is it because you have lots of money? No. Grace means that is an open door literally for anyone and everyone. To come to this community because it's what? A church which is based on grace. Are based on unconditional love. It's an astonishing thing, isn't it? I watched a video many years ago. A YouTube video. And the YouTube video was a crazy video. It was about a family. A family who adopted so many kids... But it was a crazy adoption process. You know why? Because instead of going to, to an adoption agency and find, oh, I want that nice kid oh, look looks so cute and beautiful, this family chose to adopt kids who were mentally disabled, physically disabled, all sorts of social, mental, emotional problems. It was a crazy household, not surprisingly. And I said, what sort of family want to do that? And I discovered it was a Christian family. And they wanted to show God's unconditional love to these kids. Who would have been rejected by the world. You know, when God looks upon the sea of lost people all around this world. He was not looking for the best of the best. Remember when Jesus came, I did not come to call the righteous and the healthy I came to call sinners and the sick unconditional love grace Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9 means that God chose the worst of the worst and he has chosen to be part of his family and can you imagine what sort of family is that can you imagine the sort of family that that family would have been you know it's completely messed up but it was a family filled with unconditional love and that family is the way God operates too in this church he brings all sorts of ratbag people nasty not so nice people people got anger issues people got problems issues people got relationship people got all sorts of problems and yes I want you I want you I want you I want you to be part of my family. The gospel creates the problem, but at the same time, the gospel solves the problem, isn't it? The gospel solves the problem. He reminds us again in Ephesians chapter 2, well, what is the basis of this church? It's grace. It's continual grace. I brought you in by my grace. How do we live together again by grace? We love each other not because you are nice to me I love you not because you're kind to me or do nice things I love you simply because we were loved by God we operate by grace so it's not surprising here that the unity here as Paul says here our, he himself is our peace it is the grace of the Lord Jesus who is our peace who has brought the two one and what broke down this flesh the dividing war, hostility We operate on grace and by grace alone. Now, come to my standpoint. Why does God do such a crazy thing? God does this to show to the world he can do something which the world cannot do. And what is it the world cannot do? The world cannot bring enemies and turn them into friends. Only God can do that. Do you realize that? And so we read these passages. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realised in Christ Jesus our Lord. See that? The manifold wisdom of God might be made known. So when the, ch- God look, when the people look at the church, what do they see? Wow, God is so incredible, so wise, so powerful, so wonderful. He looked at the church. That's a funny thing, because when, when we try to see signs of God's goodness and power and wisdom, we look to nature, don't we? We look up at the skies and stars and see, wow, God is so big and wonderful. But what does Ephesians 3.10 say? No, that's not where you find the greatness of God. You find, it, you find it in the church. That's where you find it. You find the glory... And the majesty and the kindness and the power of God in the church. And why is that? Because the church is a display to the world that God is able to do something which no one on earth can do. We have our United Nations. We have so many peacekeeping organisations. None of them has been successful in bringing communities of uh, uh, angry people, people who hate each other, bringing together Only God can do that. Only God can do that. Now here's the funny thing. You think that this would make it easy? No, it actually makes it more hard. These problems will never go away as long as the church is gospel-centered and mission-minded. Why is that? Because you know why? As long as you keep seeing gospel-centered, you're going to keep wanting to bring more people in regardless of who they are. As long as you're going to be mission minded, you're going to go out and reach more people regardless of who they are. And you think that would make it a lot easier. Well, yes, it was because you're learning how to love each other. But as you learn to love each other, you're going to start bringing more people in. And then you've got to learn again and again and again and again and again. My church, we were doing quite well. And guess what? Now we've got this girl who's got mental health issues. And now we've got to learn all again. How do we love this person? And then you've got another person who's got anger issues. How do I love this person? Does I say, kick him out? No. A church which is gospel-centered, mission-minded, is a church that's teaching people to love each other, and over time they'll get to love each other. But a church which is gospel-centered, mission-minded, grace-centered, is a church which keeps creating more problems for themselves because they want to get more, more and more and more and more people. And therefore, you know, it's not surprising that Jesus' prayer for us is that we learn to grow up. Now, it's a pain when you think about that, but remember, right, this church is like a little bratty kid that's on the process of growing up. And that process of growing means there's always going to be problems, aren't there? Always going to be problems. But here's the last statement. One day the church will grow up and be mature like Jesus. The church has a lot of problems now. Okay, we get it. The world sees the problem of the church, even a lot of us. But God chose us, and here's the most astonishing thing. God is working in the church through his grace to grow them. And we have this great picture, don't we, on on Revelation 21, 1-2. Then I saw new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more, and I saw the holy sea, which is the church, New Jerusalem coming down to heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Or Jude, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and and present you uh, before his glorious uh, presence of his glory and great joy, to the only God our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority, before all time and now and forever. Amen. That is the future of the church. What you look at is the process of growing up. It's glorious that God can bring people together like that. It's painful a lot of times, but one day after God has finished his work of growing his church, they will be a beautiful bride. And so much so that the world will look at this church even more so and say, wow, God is powerful, God is good, God is great. So I'm you, how do we love the church? Well, we continue to love, this is God's community, he loves the church. People ask me, why do I keep going to my church after 30 years, all the storms I've had to go through, I've gone through a lot of storms. And you know why? Because Jesus still loves my church as much as he still loves your church. That being said, we've still got to work out, how do we agree to disagree? Well, that's what I'm going to talk about this afternoon. So you want to hear about that? Come along this afternoon. Let me pray. Father, oh, we give you thanks for this community here which you have chosen, which you have brought together, which you are moulding and teaching to love each other. May, Lord, this church be a display of your ever-present glory and power that you can bring people from so different walks of life, if not even such uh, disconnected con- uh, uh, relationships, and yet make them one.
0: May this church continue to grow in your grace. Amen.